Are you laughing now? All right, welcome to episode 19 of Embrace the Suck, the only official licensed, sanctioned, domestically produced podcast of APG, bringing you two cents worth of free perspective on a heavy-hitting lifestyle. Joining me today is renowned napkin artist and fellow APG co-founder, Robert Q. Stella. Rob, you want to say something interesting? Yeah, wow, man. Thanks. Uh, that was truly heartfelt. I appreciate you throwing out the whole middle initial there that I try to keep on the down low. And uh and you must have been doing some research on the old Google machine uh, to find that old hidden passion of mine of napkin art. So thanks for the shout out, man. That was, that was, that was nice. I'm here to help, man. Stocking ain't easy, but I make it look that way. And uh, I think uh, all five listeners will probably keep it under their hat, so it's going to be all right. Probably. So, uh, as always, I'm your host, Bill Hart, coming to you almost live this time from the Diamond District in the Gujarat District State, whatever, of India, where jewelers have begun producing diamond-studded face masks to allow the well-to-do to stand out while adhering to COVID-19 regulations. Producers of these masks say that they are popular with couples planning to get married during the pandemic, and I'm guessing that they are not disposable. But there's uh, no word yet on whether thieves have started targeting the um, wearers of these diamond-studded face masks. But apparently they'll set you back like $1,500 to $5,000 American. So uh, this is in a country where the average income is less than $5,100 per year. So you be the judge. Right. So we have a guest today. We had to bribe her and threaten her and blackmail her, but we managed. We have a guest. And today we have uh, the guest we have with us is a survivor of an in-flight assault, multiple brain surgeries, six separate concussions, and the only person I know to have earned a personal reference from Michael Bolton. Please welcome the founder of the American Soldiers Network and author of the best-selling book, Resilience, Coming Back from Crisis with Faith, Passion, and Purpose. Say hello to the Annie Nelson. Annie, what's up? Hey, guys. Thanks for letting me out of the closet for a little bit. <laughs> Our pleasure, but don't think you're not going right back in there. That's kind of what I was afraid of. <laughs> How are you doing? Where are you at right now? I'm in California. Okay, fantastic. Is it, uh, I understand it's warm. It, it's a little toasty out there this afternoon, yes. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you still on lockdown out there? We'll be on lockdown till the day the governor passes. <laughs> till, he, till he passes, passes, or? Um, or until he's not governor anymore. These, these are all possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how are you getting by? Are you staying busy while you're locked down? You know, bonbons, couch, soap operas, whatever it takes. It's a sweet deal if you can get it. <laughs> it is very sweet, especially if you like chocolate. Yeah. So you're not uh, you're not putting on the putting on that couch weight, are you? You mean the quarantine fifteen? Yes, indeed. No. It was the COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen. I passed that fifteen was a while ago, and I thought the goal That's was higher than fifteen. So <laughs> I think no, I as high as you can go. Oof, yeah, I think if I can golf, you want the number really high. Yeah, yeah. that's golf works, works that way, right? How high did you score on golf? <laughs> way better. Not really. <laughs> oh, I always win. So we're, uh, we're starting to get a pool going on the next catastrophe for 2020. And um, judging by your resume, you seem like the person to ask. You got any predictions? Mm. As in how many or when the next one will hit? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, so far this year, what did we have? We had uh, we had murder hornets. We have um, burned down targets. We have uh, street COVID, painting. The, street the, painting the, the Tiger King going to prison. Tiger, I mean, oh yeah, definitely. I, didn't, that was... I watched some of that. <sighs> How? Who didn't? Unsettling. Well, I it could be why. all the extra time we have that eventually that one will suck in your life somehow, at least for a Not moment. Really. No, there's other, there's actually documentaries on TV with knowledgeable information that you mm. can learn from that are much more fascinating than that. No one's talking about that on Instagram, though. And I know Instagram, you know, it basically dictates my day. So, well, so today, uh, today we want to talk to you. We want to get your take on the art of getting back up after getting knocked down. So, you know, standing tall against long odds, talking about resilience something you know more than a little about so we want to hear some of your stories so without further delay annie if you want to if you want to enlighten us <laughs> i don't know that it's enlightening but um well as far as like getting knocked down and getting back up again that's happened for pretty much all of my adult life um back in the early 90s i was a flight attendant on a flight i uh, got beat up by passengers they broke my back and that started the trigger of events that just seemed to be blessed my way for adulthood. Um, that was uh, in 94. And then, so I've conquered back pain on and off since then, except this year I went ahead and bit the bullet and had major back surgery on February 3rd. And then um, after that, we went into a big segment of freak accidents to where I had car accidents and things flying out of the, the air and hitting me in the head and racked up about six concussions. And then in 2010, um, one of those concussions that I had actually in 2009, um, had left me with a bunch of symptoms, which we were, I was going everywhere. I had, I was dizzy. I was, um, losing my balance. I had headaches that were off the charts and I'd end up in the ER and they'd have to, the headaches would make me throw up all the time. And so I'd have to go to the emergency room, they'd have a bag of, um, saline stuff with, uh, Zofran in it and Dilaudid and they'd send me home once they got the puking to stop and that happened on and off I was like a frequent flyer at the ER and they thought I was in there for the delighted and I, I don't do drugs it's just not my thing but um in July then of 2010 I was on one of those emergency room visits and the doctor couldn't stop me from convulsing and he was like okay we're gonna do a CT scan we're not gonna find anything but I gotta rule it out because I can't let you go home until I can stop your body from convulsing and so lo and behold came out of the CT scan and this doctor came running in my uh, emergency room, fell on my bed and he's like, oh my God, you have a massive brain tumor. You're on your way to ICU and we ordered an MRI. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's a little bit of a way to shock the day. Yeah, and it was six centimeters, so it was huge. Um, and Rob knows my mom, but my mom has a big hair at the time. And I remember we were in the ER and they were taking me from the ER to the MRI before taking me up to ICU. And they were going so fast, I looked behind me on the gurney and all I could see was my mom like following these people and her hair in slow motion was like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, Houston, we have a problem. That's 1980s big hair. Yeah, it was, it was huge hair. But um, yeah, so then that turned into uh, 10, and a, 10 hours and 45 minutes of brain surgery at USC. And they took the tumor and uh, they took my hearing along with it. So on the right side, I'm deaf, which that's a new, new twist. Um, and got some issues with the eye. I woke up and it looked like I had a stroke. My whole face had dropped. And because mm -hmm. of the um, Decadron drug, which they give you to shrink the brain down so that they can actually do brain surgery and you don't, you know, explode. Um, and being blonde, that was kind of a big deal. Um, they, 
went ahead and threw about 30 more pounds on me. So when I actually went into surgery, I was, I was pushing a lot of weight and came out looking like, you know, a, a half eye, half smiling, half winking sumo wrestler. So it was quite sexy. Yipes. Yeah. It was good. Sounds so yeah, I think that it was harder to get back from the look to, you know, come back from that than actually seven and a half inch scar down your nice bald noggin and not being able to walk or talk or, you know, it would you know, try to drink and it would go down your face. And yeah, it was, it was a, a unique um, comeback on that one. It took about two years. Yeah. Honestly, when I first met you, uh, I think, what was that? 2013 when we met, uh, you were taking us over uh, a few of the vets yeah. over to the Grammys. And I had no idea you had ever suffered anything like this. Uh, the signs weren't showing at all. You did a fantastic job at, you know, with the appearance and coming back from that. And then as I got to know you, I got to realize how much you've actually endured and what you've actually gone through. So. No, no, but then to actually, when I met you, it was right after they took out my top rib because I had thoracic outlet from all the concussions and I was losing my right, my left arm. So they went in and took out the top rib so that you can, because up here, these, um, this area doesn't unswell once it's, inflamed and so there's no room in there for your muscles and ligaments and tendons so they'll take the rib out to open up space so they did that in november of 2013 and i took you to the grammys in um oh no it was right after because i met you in january of 2013 but then after right. that um went back I, my, my physical therapy team rocked pro sport down in laguna hills which a lot of the nfl guys are actually um doing i do pt with a lot of them so it's actually kind of fun because um some of the guys that i've been able to be inspired by as far as workouts i'll never ever be to their caliber but it's kind of fun to think you can yeah no they they're uh, some of them are freaks of nature at just what they can do physically so what they can do hurt you know like even if they're what would knock most of us out like it's a hammy or whatever they still can push through and um it's fun and then they get the old girl next to them and it's kind of fun well, so yeah. did this, so this whole chain of events, did this all get set off by this, by this in-flight situation? Um, the back, that was the back. Um, I did get a concussion that night, so that was pretty much the first concussion of the six. Did it have anything to do with the tumor? No, actually, the tumor was a, um, an acoustic aroma, which is in your ear canal, mm. and there was a good chance back then that it was from cell phone use, because back in, oh. you know, when, I, when they found it, we would hold the phone. We didn't have right, Bluetooth right. and all that. So there was a, a pretty good chance that it was from cell phone use. And then the second tumor I got, which was this year in 2018, and I shouldn't say it was the second one. It actually ended up being a small one that had been there, they believe, the entire time the big one was there. But when they found the big one, it was so big that it, on the scan and stuff, you couldn't see the smaller one. So they didn't see it until after they had taken the big one out and they were doing a post-surgical scan and they saw it. So they had been watching that one um, since 2010, and then in 2018, about spring, headaches and stuff were coming back, and whether it had anything to do with the tumor or not, no clue, but it made me get into my surgeon and um, walked into Dr. G's office, and, and he's like, well, you're due for a scan anyway, so I scan, and when I go up to LA, I go to USC, and he walked in the office and was we were shooting the breeze for a good 20 minutes, because he and I become really dear friends, and when a guy saves your life, you kind of keep him around. And um, <laughs> in the last like two minutes of the conversation, he was like, Hey, you know, we've been watching that. We've had really good brain tumor maintenance. We've been watching that little guy. He just started, he decided to grow. So we're going to go ahead and go after it. And I'll meet with the board on Monday and then we'll call you Tuesday for your surgery date. <laughs> I was like, Oh, right on. Can we go again? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. He just did it very matter of factly. And I, so I said, okay, I gave a hug and I was driving home and I was driving home thinking, 
damn, we're doing this again. And it really didn't like hit until I was in the car driving uh-huh. home. And then it like started to hit. And then you, you then every, you know, cause it was the journey yeah. was tough. I'll, I'm not kidding. I mean, I joke about it and I keep light about it, but it, it was, it was tough. And, um, when you're, you know, a grown adult and you have to learn how to walk all over and talk all over and change a lot about you. Um, and, and brain surgery though, isn't painful. Like mm. back surgery, n- no joke, was way more painful than brain surgery. They, I mean, when they cut up here and my zipper goes like all the way back here, oh, wow. um, it didn't really hurt. The, the extra weight was miserable. Um, physical therapy, learning, because I would fall over. We were talking about that at therapy this morning. I would go into PT and literally just boom, be down. Like no rhyme or reason. I had no balance. And I would be walking in there and I'd try to do something and be on the ground. You know, oh, wow. that was a good conversation for them. Right. I think one of the things that uh, impresses me the most about you, Annie, is uh, if you don't share that with people, no one would know any different. Uh, you commented on how you kind of approach this and you have this levity about you that. Man, I think you're a success story because of the attitude you have moving into these. And I think it's impressive because, man, it, it, it blew my mind as I started to learn more about you. And when I was trying to share your story to Bill, you know, visualizing you, it doesn't match what's happened to you. And I think that's impressive. So if you could share some that you uh, might have put in your book about, you know, some of those pillars that you talked about, like how defining your situation helps you out. We'd appreciate that. Well, I think I'm an only child. And uh, my parents were older when they had, well, my dad was 45 when I was born. My mom was going to be 30. So growing up, I was always brought up in a very positive, loving, um, nurturing family. And so I think genetically that I'm, you know, predispositioned to be happy and and upbeat and try to look at the glass more full than more empty. But um, that kind of, I think those seeds were planted when I was a lot younger. And then because I'm not married and I don't have brothers and sisters, I really had to do this on my own. And so you you have to either, you know, poop or get off the pot. I mean, you can either drown in in negativity and, and sadness and um, poor me, woe is me. Um, I've always had a really deep faith. So for me, I turned inward and went that way. And then when I was doing the book and everybody was like, well, how did you get through it? And I had to really sit down and think, how did I? When it's you, you don't think about how do I how do I get through every day. I mean, that's not something that you sit down and really think about. But when I think about it, I um, I've always, whenever I've gone through any kind of challenge, whether it's you know physical, yes, um, but the physical causes financial, which causes you know it just kind of snowballs. You kind of have to sit down and first just like take a deep breath and and look at the situation in its entirety. You know, like what exactly am I in? What boat am I in? And then once you figure out where you're at, it's like, okay, how are we going to get through this and get out of this boat and into the next thing? And so when you do that, if you take a personal inventory as to, okay, what are my strengths? What, what have I got that I don't need help with? And what am I lacking that I'm going to need somebody to help me to get through the next step? It doesn't have to be me with multiple brain tumors and all the health stuff I've got. Because most people, I wouldn't believe my, my me story if I wasn't living it because most people yeah. aren't dealt that many blows that have nothing to do with like, I, it's not like I made bad choices. It's not like I decided to go party one night and, you know, got in a car accident or whatever. Everything that's happened to me has been stuff totally out of my control. So then when you do that personal inventory and you start thinking about, okay, what have I got that'll help me move on? You kind of know your strengths and it reaffirms to you that you've got more than negative happening. 
you, you, you've got some strength in you to, to kind of keep going. I made a personal mission statement years ago, way before any of the brain tumors and way before any of the injuries. I read a book by Lori Beth Jones back in college and um, it was creating your own personal mission statement. And it's a faith-based book, but it's not a, it's not a Bible something book by any stretch of the imagination. And Lori challenges you to A, write your own personal mission. Like every company out there has a mission statement, but very few people sit down and do a personal mission statement, which is take your inventory, figure out why am I on this planet? I'm only here for 80 plus years. Well, what's my mission? Why am I here? Do you just go through day, you know, making a paycheck, raising the family, working your butt off or not working your butt off? But why are you here? That's why you're here. And that's truly why you're here is just to get up, go to work, get paid, raise the kids and move on, then fine. But if you want to make more of this life, you need to really focus in on what is it that you want to do while you're here. And yeah, um, absolutely. You know, it's like, yeah, Dakota says own the dash, you know, the dash between your birthday and your death date. What are you going to do in that time while you're on the planet? How are you going to leave your footprint? And then Lori challenges you to bring it down to two words, which is hard. I mean, when, when people, I mean, companies pay big bucks for people to create these flowery, beautiful, usually a paragraph, maybe a couple sentences, mission statements, right? Lori challenges you personally to get it down to two words. So way back in college, mine was, and it's never, ever changed. It was Ignite Faith. And so no matter where I go or what I've done or how I've carried myself through good times, bad times, you know, doesn't matter. That's always, I've always wanted to be an example. And that started way before any of the challenges happened. So the fact that it's not changed, even though the challenges have happened. And now I ended up public speaking. I'm a, you know, I'm the brain tumor poster child. I have, there's a video of me on USC's neurosciences and surgery, you know, their website about success stories. And so there's a lot of things that have happened out of my control, but that have turned into what I could control now is how I handle them and how I dealt with them. So after you, you do the personal mission statement and you've figured out, okay, how am I going to take these strengths that I have after I've figured out my situation, then you got to kind of assemble your team. And you guys know that working with athletes and working with teams, teams are teams. It's a, it's an effort. If there's not an I in there and going through life, I don't know anybody out there that is a hermit lives in a box and only interacts with themselves. You have to have a team to get through life. And quarantine and this whole COVID thing should have taught us all that, that we are not, human beings are not meant to be self-isolated. Human beings are not meant to be quarantined. Human beings are not meant to social distance. We are meant to be with other human beings. We are a beast that feeds off of hugging. We feed off of talking. We feed off of communicating. Look at podcasts. I mean, we feed off of others' energy, others' stories, other others advice other we, we just we can't function as a species without the other person i agree completely uh I, I think even the hardest of souls that i've met um these these rough operators overseas yep. we, we need each other uh no one can do it alone but before we go too deep into this team i want to go back to something else you said when you were talking about this mission statement that yeah. i think ties into a very important element and that's that's a whole mentality of, hey, is this something that now defines me or is this something that happened to me? And I think what you're forced to do there is realize that this was this is just a major bump in the road and you're not a victim to the circumstance, but there's things you can do and it allows you that perspective to see what is reality, what's going on here. And once you capture that, it frees you. It, it frees yeah. you to move forward. And I think that's oh, the most... Uh, 
important thing, I think, out of that whole mission statement you were talking to. Because before you can even start building a team, you you need to build that awareness and, and, and get some perspective. So I think that was powerful. Appreciate you sharing well, that part like, of the story. Especially in the in the world of professional sports or even in the military and in a, in the workplace. So even in a corporation or whatever, you have a team. Well, then your team usually has sub-teams underneath it. So you have the CEO, you have the COO, the CFO or whatever. Then you have whomever else. On a football field, you have the head coach. Then you have your defensive coach. Then you have your defensive back coach. Then you have your quarterback's coach. And so all of those coaches need to have their own mission. And then all of their units need to have a, a mission for that unit. So your offensive line needs to have its own mission. Your quarterback is going to guide that, but you guys as a team have to have it. And you, by defining your strengths or figuring out your situation, and that's figuring out which players are where and who's gifted at each position. And then if a guy figures out, or a girl, figures out their personal mission statement, it's obviously going to be that life is more than this game that I'm playing. Life is more right. than this job that I'm doing. If you are spending 90% of your life working at a job and not doing something else that fulfills you and fuels you and, and feeds your soul as a human being while you're on this planet, you're missing the boat. You are. And it's hard to build commitment towards anything when you're just, you know, uh, coloring by numbers like that. I mean, there's, right. there's no meeting. It reminds me kind of out of nowhere, out of left field. That reminds me of that. Did you ever see that movie Joe versus the Volcano from a long, long time ago? I'm trying to get my son to watch it. He's watching all the, uh, all the uh, movies by Tom Hanks. And I'm like, well, have you seen Joe versus the Volcano? I'm, I mean, I'm not what you call a Tom Hanks fan or anything. I mean, I don't have like, you know, a yeah. Tom Hanks coffee cup or anything like that. But I mean, that, that one movie, there was just one line in it that really reminds me of exactly what you're talking about. When he says that I was too much of a coward to live my own life, so I sold it to you for this crummy paycheck. Yep. You so know I'm, how many CEOs, though, do that? That's oh, yeah. I mean, I've met so many men and women that run companies that are so focused on the business and on the company and not on themselves. Mm -hmm. And what example yeah. is that setting for not only your family, your children, but those that work with you? you are the head of something. You might be the leader of the pack and you might be the greatest motivator on the planet for your team. But what example are you setting if all your team sees is that you work 24 hours a day? Yeah. Yeah. And that's oh, something yeah, you see. I think you see that anywhere. You see that in the teams for sure. I mean, there's guys that, you know, the, the, the master chief that wants you to stay there 12, 13 hours because, well, that's what I did when I was coming up. And like, dude, you're, you're miserable now. You basically live here. And then yeah. when guys leave the teams, they're like, you're, you're fresh out of an identity because you're not there anymore. You're not even you. You're, you're the guy that used to be this guy over here. And that's, right. that's you know, you're not really I living life at that point. Man, I put my foot in my mouth one time with a mass chief that was uh, no way was oh believe it or not yeah <laughs> <That's odd. laughs> I basically uh, laid it out like that to him like well you did X Y and Z back then and that's not going to be me so thanks for the advice but no thanks and didn't go off well it wasn't one of my better you know uh, so I'm curious then right. especially you know in today's in today's culture of you know professional victimhood like the the only thing that really matters is how much of a victim somebody is. How many people have you talked to that have been able to kind of see the light, if you will, just by talking to you? Because, I mean, there are people that are, I don't know, how can you say, like emotionally crippled, you know, because somebody dinged their car or, you know, bumped into them at the sandwich shop. And now, you know, their, their life is ruined, their day is ruined. 
have there been people that have, have talked to you and said, you know what, I gotta, I gotta reconsider. Um, yeah, as far as, um, so, I mean, the book is only like less than a year old. So uh -huh. I'm starting to get people that actually hit me up out of the blue and say, Oh my goodness, you know, your, what your book has done, which is kind of weird because putting it out there, I put it out there because I've been speaking for so long, but putting mm -hmm. it in black and white, that's, that's just kind of odd for me. It's like, why would anybody want to read my story? Um, but now that I know it's helping, that was the whole purpose behind it. It was if it helped one person. There's a lot that I, because I have the American Soldier Network and I'm around the military and the veteran community the majority of my time, and suicide is so prevalent, there's a lot of, mostly men, I, I'm not saying that women are discarded, just most of the guys, most of the people that I interact with are guys. I get those calls late at night. I've gotten calls at midnight, two in the morning where guys are right there and you know somebody will call me and say so-and-so is ready to end this you need to talk to them and I'm not a counselor so it's kind of overwhelming in a way because I, I I'm not trained to talk people down off the ledge but it's been happening over the past probably 10 five six years more than not and at that point in the game you just kind of have to share your heart and life happens and what you've gone through is what what molds your heart so when you share your own story and hope that they can find something, even though I'm not an operator, I have never been downrange, nor do I ever pretend to. And I, I have the utmost respect for you guys and for anybody that's ever worn this nation's uniform. And the fact that I'm able to dedicate my life to serving your community is a huge blessing for me. But I think for me personally, God put me through everything that I went through as a civilian so that I'm equipped to understand and be a better support system for the men and women that have gone downrange and are dealing with stuff. So that's part of that whole mission and why you're here on the planet. I mean, that's, it's a huge blessing to have somebody like you out there. And I mean, really to, to kind of circle back to what you were talking about. I mean, the, the guy that did your, your brain surgery, um, mm -hmm. that guy didn't need to have a brain tumor to do it properly. You know, just to help out, you don't need to have walked in those shoes. You know, right. if somebody's going to help you out, let them help you out. There, there's no reason for it you. Helps. I mean, it helps. I'm glad that when I'm in those positions, or when I'm with the community, especially the special forces, and, and I think Rob can attest to that, I have a unique relationship with the SEAL community and the special forces community. And it was hard. It was really hard at first because I'm not in the community and I am a female. So there were a lot of hurdles that I had to jump through to be able to even be welcomed or, or accepted. Not so much from the guys themselves and the girls that are in uniform, but from their support system and their circle of influence, because people couldn't figure out that we all had a certain bond, I guess you would say. I mean, I don't know how else you would explain it, but there's a, there's a, a unique relationship that happens, and it happens organically when um, I, meet, I meet guys. I mean, Rob, I think you can attest to that. Uh, it's... It's almost yeah, like I, I can. I, I think I understand what you're talking about. And it is somewhat intimidating uh, reaching out to us to help support us. I mean, that right there is what opens the doors to people like you to come into our organization because we have found we need people like you. We need people from the outside to have a different perspective and to have had these experiences because it's one of the things we struggle with. And, and the work you do with uh, military suicide rates, with the um, American Soldiers Network and everything else you get involved with, I mean, that, that's where the trust and the loyalty starts to build from. I want to go back to something because what impresses me the most, because you talk a lot about these support systems, 
and and maybe we'll talk to this on another uh, episode, but you didn't have support with your first incident at that airlines, and it, it was devastating just how poorly the organization, we're not going to call them out because we don't want to get lawyers involved, but it, it, it blows my mind how poorly you were treated and how little support you had and the fact that you were able to make it through that, not be a victim, and then still turn into somebody who is completely supportive and was able to find support systems that worked for her. So uh, I'm sure the listeners would like to hear. The other thing that when it happened, um, which was 1994, my dad is old school. My dad is, you know, hardworking, self-made guy. So is my mom that have worked their tail off since, you know, high school. I mean, they are hardworking Midwest people that have, have created an amazing life for themselves, but they, you know, they started out of respect and hard work and loyalty. When it happened, and, and the airline was letting me down and they weren't taking care of me financially. They weren't paying my medical bills. They were, it was, it was ugly. I they were saying it was your fault, ever, weren't they? Right, right. Yeah, pretty much. And I wasn't going to, you know, everybody's like, you need to sue. And, and I'm like, oh, and my dad was like, you can't sue the hand that feeds you. And, and that I, I would, I would never do that. You know, I loved my job. I loved my company. There was the company that I flew for is known for being a very, uh, back then, especially because the guy at the helm of the company was a very outgoing, loud personality that that was in the media and was out there, you know, building this airline. And there were things they would do unique things in the industry, and I would be at some of these events, and I, I you know, would kind of be the rah rah of of the airline. And so, until you get hurt or until that happens, you don't realize if they're if it's all fake. I'm not saying that it's fake with those that I worked with, the, the people that were on the plane with me, the people that were loading the boat, you know, the, the luggage people, the gate people, the people at, you know, at ops, the, the flight attendants, the pilots, but it was that, that executive bunch that called the shots and the shots were to, you know, sweep me under the rug. The, the passengers are always right and get rid of her type of thing, you know, just don't even talk to her. So that was really hard because I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could, sue the hand that fed you. So I didn't, I filed a work comp claim. And that was like, I was, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. But I felt so bad about doing that. But I had to because my medical bills were on my credit card. I didn't want to go to my parents. You know, oh, I'm, out of the house. I'm making my own money. I'm I've got a job. I don't want to lean on mom and dad. And the whole time I looked like this, but I had the back injury. So the invisible wounds thing happens. You know, you're miserable and you're in a crap ton of pain and people don't get it. And just to get up in the morning and you can't do the things that you want to do. You can't sit for long periods of time. You can't stand for long periods of time. You can't pick up anything from the ground. You certainly can't do anything that you used to love to do, like play golf and swing a golf club. And people are looking at you like you're, you know, you're milking it. You're fine. And, and so there's that, that disconnect. And then you, you don't want to dump on, especially me being an only kid, you don't want to dump on your parents. You don't want to dump on people that care about you because you don't want them to be brought down. So the whole thing about, carrying it on your own shoulders and trying to go through it, 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 it was, it was unique. It was definitely unique. And the fact that the back pain and the back problems that I had followed me until this year. So from 1994 till 2020, I've, n I've never been pain free since 1994. I've not right. had a day where I've not felt pain. So when did you, did you write the book before you started American Soldiers Network or after, or how did that work out? No, I, 
well, the 16th Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Carlton Kent, was kind of trying to push me to write the book. And I, I kept thinking, why? I had no, I write, I write. I'm a columnist for US Veterans Magazine, and so I write. But I didn't think I was a writer to, to do a book, and I knew nothing about it. And when you're not a celebrity, you know, you can't, you don't have these publishing companies coming to you and saying, hey, we're going to give you a guarantee, and we're going to try to spoon feed you through the process. So when you're a nobody, um, you kind of have to grin and bear it and figure out how to do it on your own. So I started six years ago trying to get this done. And I knew I needed somebody to write with me because writing, I can write about anybody. I can't write about myself. And how do you decide what to put in, what to put out, what do people really want to hear, what's going to really impact things? You don't want to make it, you know, 10,000 pages and tell every little thing. So you really need some guidance. And I had partnered mm -hmm. with somebody the first time who it was really important for me to find somebody that was like-minded and, and understood where I come from as far as being the girl that I am and being faith-based and being all that. And the first person really kind of, A, didn't want to do it the way I did and told me you can't include, you know, a, a piece of scripture. You can't, you need to keep it vanilla the whole way through. And it was bizarre. And I had paid her all this money and I never got a transcript. I never got anything. And so after a couple of years with her and then having this you lose all this money and still have no product. I was not butthurt, but I was like, not going to do this again. I'm like, okay, that was God telling me you just do not need to do this book. And then I met a gentleman, well, I've actually known him, but a, another dear friend of mine, he's a um, former Green Beret, who's now a, an entrepreneur, um, Larry Broughton. He kind of got, got on me again a couple of years ago and said, you, you need to finish. You started something now you need to go finish it. And so he's got several books out on leadership and has, done very well and so he introduced me to a gal that he works with and it ended up being great she was amazing she um helped me navigate the process she edited what i was doing she had a team of people that knew how to do the cover and knew how to do all the other stuff so the book was started post brain tumor number one but before brain tumor number two and before uh the back surgery and all that the book was finished after brain tumor number two but not including the last year of the back surgery, which they did February 3rd, and they went in through my tummy, replaced the discs, flipped me over, went in through my back, fused all the way down. So this whole journey is still happening, and that's not even in the book. Oh, buddy. American wow. Network was founded back in 1996. Oh, wow. Well, we're coming up on about on about time for this episode, but I'd like to hear, I want to hear, you know, more about your approach and more about your book and, and, uh, and really the whole, the whole deal. But um, I'd like to kind of leave off with your perspective on, you know, some people will say that, uh, you know, I don't know, my personal favorite life is what you make it. Or some people will say that everything is destiny, or some people will say that things happen at random or that everything is connected. You, after everything that you've gone through, what is your take on, on the big picture and how the little pieces fit together? What do you think? I would say for me personally, there are no coincidences. I would say for me, life is a very individual thing, just like relationships are very individual and people's faith is very individual. Mm -hmm. But for me, everything was lined up the way it was supposed to happen. No, do I want, you know, would I wish this on anybody else? Absolutely not. Like when I was a flight attendant and it all happened to me, a lot of the gals I was flying with were single moms. Mm -hmm. It would have devastated them if it happened to them on that plane, if they all of a sudden couldn't fly, had no income and you know had a little baby they had to feed and didn't have the support from the daddy so i was the one that was supposed to get beat up that night it's not that it i'm not wishing it happened but i'm just saying everything turned out the way it was supposed to it it 
laid the footprint for where I went in the next, you know, in my adult life. I was, if you would have said you're going to give up your whole world and everything you wanted to do in the television industry and start a nonprofit that's going to benefit our veterans and our military and go on the public speaking thing and view your entire life out there for the public so it helps other people, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> I'd have been like, ah, no, that's not me. <laughs> not going there. So I don't believe in coincidences. Um, I think we're all where we're supposed to be. I think we can definitely change the, the trajectory of where we're going to go, but it takes work. And just quite frankly, I don't see a lot of people willing to work on the personal stuff nowadays. I mean, mm. yeah, people get up and go to work. I mean, some do, some don't, some stay home and, and that's don't. a different story. <laughs> but um, if you really want to make an impact and really want to do something while you're here, it's, it's not not a cakewalk I mean you have to you have to be really disciplined and you have to just decide what am I going to do and why am I here yes indeed. Yeah. that is that's, well that's solid input it doesn't happen to you it happens for you right all right that's powerful stuff there Annie well it's also Real. letting go you have to let go of every, all of us have stuff I mean there's not a person on the planet that doesn't have stuff it's how we deal with our stuff and how we let go and don't let it drag you down Take what you've been given, learn from it. If if you if, if you were done wrong by somebody, you know what? Forgive that somebody, take that anger and that energy and let it fuel something in your belly to do something else. Do something that's gonna fulfill you and that's gonna, you know, project you and that's gonna transform you. Just get off of the, the pity pot and get off of the anger management and you know, suck it up. Absolutely. There you have embrace it. the suck, buddy. Embrace the suck. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, we're going to definitely schedule you to get back on here and, uh, and ply you for more information about, uh, you know, your experiences and everything you've got in your book, you know, more, a little more details. Got it for free, man. I didn't even have to buy the book. I just tuned in. Uh, but, uh, but Annie, where can, uh, where can people find you on social media or learn more about what you're involved in? On social media, there's, um, Instagram is the Annie, everything's the Annie Nelson. So Twitter, the Annie Nelson, mm -hmm. Instagram, the Annie Nelson, LinkedIn is just Annie Nelson. Um, Parlor is the Annie Nelson. Facebook is uh, the Annie Nelson. So you're saying the Annie Nelson. Yep. All right. Fantastic. Bob, that, there's uh, other Annie Nelsons out there. So I just put <laughs> in front of it, you know, it works. Sure. Sure. Rob, what do you got, man? You got anything else before we wrap it up here? Yeah, just to plug uh, our site right there, if you want to uh, check out what we have going on, you can get on www.apg.team. And if you got questions, thoughts, or comments concerning uh, an idea you maybe have or a topic you want to hear us talk about, you can reach out to us at info at apg.team. All right, By ladies the way, and you guys need yep. to you guys need to work with my Minnesota Vikings. I'm just saying. Hey, I've heard that from a few people. Time we have spent around NFL teams, there are people beating down the door to get into those organizations. So whenever we, we do get a chance, it's usually because somebody knows somebody knows somebody, and then we get called up. I was like, last um, year I, I was at, well, two years ago now, I was at McDill Air Force Base, you know, talking to 17,000 active duty military members. And I was sitting there like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> How did this happen, right? No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think it's about as much time as we have for today. So ladies and gents, all five of you, if you like what we're putting out, do feel free to subscribe to this channel so you can get our latest in a timely fashion and share these ideas. Ideas? Can I say this one? Ideas. Share these ideas with your talk. friends because as we always say, the world needs hitters. So 
As the sun sets slowly in the east, we'll leave you with the words of Carl von Clausewitz, who reminds us that in the midst of battle, timidity is a thousand times more harmful than audacity. that you are not.